Okay, welcome back to the duct tapes. Welcome back. Quack. We're a little bit a little bit less energy than normal because this is our second time recording the intro. I know, man. Our, our mixer froze on the first one. And what the crap mixer? Just so everyone knows, and to call him out, our producer, producer Miko, has given us some <laughs> uh, some numbers to hit, and he said that he will buy us a brand spanking new mixer for the duck pond. But, so tell uh, your friends about us. Yeah, please. The, yeah, the num- yeah, please. We need a new mixer. Our guys. This thing dying. keeps freezing on us. Every time that you hear any sort of glitch or uh, or you're bored by the podcast, it is the mixer's fault. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, today we talked to bum, bada, bum. amazing Natter Dabbit. <laughs> did you? Did I cut you off in the middle of a word? Apparently, uh, you know, we've already done this the second time. Yeah. We're just going with it, man. But Natter was awesome to talk to. Yeah, he, he was is, great. Yeah, currently a senior developer advocate at Amazon. So he works mm-hmm. for Amazon Web Services. So we talked all about DevOps and AWS. Um, we hit on specifically, he works with the uh, for the Amplify team. Yes. And Amplify is an awesome service. I'm actually using it on my per- personal projects, so definitely an advocate for it. You can just immediately get like a mobile backend up and running with all of Amazon's integrated services through Amplify and just hook that up to any front end you want, web, yeah. iOS, Android. React Native app, which we, yes. we talked about because he's quite knowledgeable in that area as well. That was fun to learn. Yeah. yeah. GraphQL, we go over a oh, bunch yeah. of different things. He's coming out with books. This guy does everything. He travels half of every month, he said. Yeah, if you really want to understand the benefits of GraphQL, you have found the right mix. Yeah. And he talks about being a futurist. That was entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Way to get to that part, guys. <laughs> all right. Well, hope you enjoy this episode. We start off with all the technical stuff right away. Yep. So be ready for it. All right. See you in the future. See ya. Um, well, first, thank you so much for like agreeing to do this and being here today because I'm really excited to talk to you more. Um, I was at the JSLA conference and it was really interesting listening to you talk about GraphQL and then seeing, I really enjoyed your um, your talk because myself and my friends who I was with really enjoyed your interactive examples. So that was really cool and like a great way to engage the audience, I thought. So I'm actually interested in like hearing hopefully about how you built those or just like put them together. Um, but yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, LA was awesome. JSLA was awesome. That 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 event is like the best meetup that I've ever been to anywhere oh. in, in the world. Maybe. Oh wow. It's like three hundred and something people. Uh, you know, every I, I've only been to a handful of them, but they're all just amazing. And it's basically like going to a conference. Wow. <laughs> well, and hosted by Google, that was that kind of like drew me in. It was my first time going, so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna check this out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The venue was awesome. Yeah, I heard. I wasn't there. I wasn't cool Man. enough, but I heard a lot about the interactive, um, the interactive stuff on the screen during your talk. So, what yeah. was that about? I'm I'm trying to like remember exactly what you had up, but I know one of them was like you could was it like text in like uh, like words like text in questions, and then another yes. one was the like the musical <laughs> one that people would start playing the musical instruments and. Well, um, yeah, I had a couple of demos, and, and yeah, you, you named a couple of them. But the first one was a way for you to text Markdown. And, um, you know, Markdown is becoming just so popular because people are using it to blog. They're using it, of course, in their GitHub repos mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. You can even write uh, React now with MDX. Um, and basically what you can do is you can text Markdown to a phone number. And then I have basically GraphQL subscriptions that are listening to uh, a database. So every time a uh, text message goes through, um, the message gets basically uh, put into a string and stored in a database. And then I have GraphQL subscriptions, which basically listen to changes in your database. Ah. And anything that gets added 
uh, kind of gets sent down to whatever application is listening to that. So I had a web application that was basically had a WebSocket open listening to changes there. So people could basically uh, text in uh, messages in Markdown, and and you could essentially like write code on your on your phone, or you could submit an image on your phone, and it would kind of like show up. Oh my so gosh. that was kind of the idea. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, okay, so some I've never done a project like that. Like, how do you how do you like set up? the texting process like connecting it to the database or the phone number connected to the database or yeah so like there's a couple of ways to do it uh, the two main ways would be using something like twilio twilio has you know all these different calling apis for phone uh, sms and calling and then you could use something like aws which which is what i use because i work at aws uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it's pretty easy to kind of like there's this idea of an event-based architecture and a lot of it revolves around these managed services these serverless services and it's really right down the alley of what i work on every day and um, i'm always trying to come up with you know cool ways to kind of show off how to do this stuff and present it in a way that makes people interested in learning it because if you just kind of talk about it sometimes it's you know of exactly. course it's boring but if you build something cool with it and actually let the people in the audience kind of use it um it, it just creates a little more interest and then i usually open source it which i did um but uh w- w- what i built there with the text message thing um there's this service called amazon pinpoint mm-hmm. and you can just create a phone number and uh, once you create a phone number you can either send or receive messages and, and calls to that number and then from there, you can choose to do with it uh, what you want. So um, there's a way to kind of like take the event, which is a SMS to that number, uh-huh. and then take that and you can do whatever you would like to do with it. And um, one of the more powerful things to do with that would be just to take the um event itself that contains the phone number, it contains the message, any other metadata about the message, and sends it to a Lambda function. And from that Lambda function, you can do you know pretty much anything. So you're in a, you know, basically a JavaScript function, or it could be a Python or, or whatever Java function. And then from there, you can kind of do whatever you would like to do with it. And that's kind of what I ended up doing um, with, with that demo. So. Okay. That was awesome that explanation. Was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're looking at each other for the same reason because there were multiple keywords that you mentioned there that we were uh, going to ask you about. Wanting so, to learn more yeah. about. Sure. Perfect segue. <laughs> Which one should we start with, Tiffany? Well, we were going to start with GraphQL, and then you also mentioned Lambdas. So maybe just for like um, our audience and also for like our benefit, because I know I just started using GraphQL like and moving away from REST as of like two months ago. So I'm still pretty new to it. And like too, you said you set up GraphQL subscriptions, but could you give like a short definition of like GraphQL and maybe some of the benefits over REST? Yeah, so really there's um, a bunch of different people that would like have their own, you know, answer to that question. But I guess to me, um, really GraphQL is a specification and the specification just kind of talks about how you would build APIs in, in the way that is GraphQL. So it's more of like a set of you know, um, like guidelines, documentation, documentation. Guidelines. Yeah, exactly uh, about how to build APIs in this way um, and how to actually interact with with your API and in, in the way that is GraphQL. And, uh, you know, it was introduced by Facebook about uh, 2012 ish, I think. And then there was int- uh, open source, you know, sometime after that. And um, the benefits over it, uh, you know, a lot of different trade-offs, I guess you could say, between REST and GraphQL. There are some benefits, but there are also, you know, benefits to sticking with REST. But um, we work a lot with, you know, real companies and customers that are using GraphQL at AWS. And a lot of the reasons why someone that has 
you know, an existing architecture or they're like a big company like, you know, Netflix or one of these companies that, that is an AWS customer, like, you know, for them to actually move away from something that is currently working to something else, they typically have a real problem or a need that needs to be solved, a problem that needs to be solved or a need that needs to be met. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it's they don't really take those things lightly. But, you know, GraphQL actually is a very big improvement uh, around a lot of different things. And I think the main ones that we see are um, when you're working with um, large payloads that are being sent across the, net, the network um, and you're trying to ship an application to all parts of the world and you want people that have you know a very good internet connection to be able to use it but you also want people in uh, parts of the world like Africa or South America or or wherever that might not have as uh, good of an internet connection to mm-hmm. be able to still have a good user experience and um, with GraphQL you can um, reduce the payload size quite a bit so that you're not sending any ex- extra information across the wire. You're only requesting the exact information, the exact data that you want, and, and therefore the payload is much smaller and the application typically you know, will run a lot faster. Um, so that's kind of the... Um, there's like overfetching and underfetching, and that's kind of the the overfetching question. And then there's also the underfetching problem. Uh, a lot of times when you're working with uh, APIs, you make a single API call to get something like an ID, maybe, and then you take that ID and then you send another API call, right. and right. then maybe you get more information. So you end up making like three or four API calls to get one set of information or one set of data that you then render to the screen. Uh, with GraphQL, you can kind of reduce that to a single API call, so you get you know, both of those things uh, put together typically reduce and um, less latency, faster applications. And then a lot of uh, customers that are using GraphQL um, at, at AWS, we have an AppSync is a, a managed GraphQL service. They're looking for uh, a way to build their applications offline. So they want their apps to have um, the same experience online and offline. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a SDK that has offline built in and it's using GraphQL. So, um, you know, those are two of the main, you know, reasons that I see people using it. There's a couple of other things that kind of are important. Um, so GraphQL is a typed, uh, you know, implementation. The schema is a typed schema. So you end up knowing exactly, you know, what data is going to be requested. And, and it, you can't really accidentally get extra data back. Mm-hmm. You, you know exactly what's going back and forth. So you end up with less bugs on the client because you don't have any unexpected behavior really on the client. Nice. Okay. I'm sold. Seriously, <laughs> like those are the first two reasons you mentioned were huge, like the offline and then the over and under fetching. So I almost feel silly asking this, but we wanted to ask, like, is there any reason to still stick with REST these days? Like you even mentioned there might be some benefits, maybe for like a smaller application or a personal project. But in your opinion, why would anyone not like choose REST? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you know, if you already have a team that really, really understands how to build REST APIs and they don't know anything about GraphQL and maybe you have a deadline that's coming up and you need to just ship something, that's definitely a good reason to stick with REST. Um, If you don't really have any, like, problems with your REST implementation, like you don't see any issues that are there, then, you know, typically I don't ever recommend changing something that works. Mm-hmm. Right. Even, even if you're building something new and, and you you're, you want to maybe, you know, try something new, sometimes it's better to not even do that. If you, if you already have a team that's building good stuff, you're shipping stuff, you know, a lot of times going with the tried and true technology is, is the right way to go, in my opinion. Um, you know, um, a lot of times REST is great and a GraphQL is overkill if you're not really trying to ship mobile apps. 
you know, if you if you if you have a big back end team, uh, if you have an agile process where you're able to kind of like have a good discussion between the front and back end team, whenever you need an API endpoint, your back end team can kind of like throw it together. You can kind of like avoid some of the uh, the the overfetching because you can get more endpoints uh, mm-hmm. created for you and things like that. So awesome. Well, then I know you mentioned in your demo the other service you used was Lambdas. So maybe that's a good place to start for like Amazon Web Services because I'm really trying to improve my knowledge of DevOps and I figured Amazon was the, the right place to start. Um, but maybe you could like define like why, why use AWS and like what a Lambda function is. I think it's like a serverless function. And then I've been using um, Amplify to help me kind of connect and manage my AWS services for a personal project I'm working on. Um, I know you have experience with that. So maybe you can tell us more about Amplify and how all these services work together. Yeah, so so with Amplify, you know, AWS has is, is gotten to be just a very big, you know, thing, right? <laughs> you know, if you go to the AWS dashboard for the first time, it's just overwhelming. Right. There's over 100 services. and it's exactly and the really right word. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and people will spend months just mastering like one of those services, right? You know, and to become like a specialist, you get certifications and things. You might go to um, a boot camp or a class or take online courses, and 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 basically, you know, it's just as um, it's impossible to learn everything. So, um, you know, there are different abstractions that you kind of see coming out that kind of help you get going with AWS in a better and easier way. And I think Amplify kind of falls into that category. Um, It just allows you to kind of create the AWS services for building a web or a mobile application much easier um, and kind of do a lot as a single developer. Um, We're not doing everything with Amplify, so you can't do everything that's available in AWS. So we've created like, or we've, um, built APIs around a small subset of these services that allow you to do quite a bit, though. So pretty much anything you could think of as far as uh, creating an API, a database, uh, authentication, all of the things that you would typically wow. need for a modern application, you could pretty much do with Amplify. You're not going to be able to spin up uh, a bunch of EC2 instances. You're not going to be able to do stuff with containers right now or anything like that. Um, maybe down the road we might add that type of stuff. But for now, it's kind of meant for people looking to get up and running very quickly, looking mm-hmm. to build out an application that can scale without having to kind of like have all of the knowledge of AWS. And I guess where uh, serverless and Lambda fits into that is, you know, the the word serverless is kind of like a word that's thrown around quite a bit. And I use it all the time. In fact, I just... Um, released a book called uh, Full Stack Serverless. And, you know, in it, I have a whole chapter kind of talking about what serverless even means. But, you know, the idea of serverless really came uh, about when um, these serverless functions kind of became popular. And um, what uh, what they basically are is functions as a service. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, the function runs, you know, on its own. It's in a, um, a stateless container that gets spun up whenever you need it and when you're not using it it goes away so you're only really having to worry about uh interacting with that function and you're not actually worried about building the server managing the server patching it all the things that you would normally do uh for an api so um so the serverless is um serverless in the sense that you don't have to deal with the server but it's not serverless in the sense that there is no server so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like when you think of wireless phones, um, 
we know that at some point in the communication process, there is a wire connecting somewhere, right? Yeah. Like there's a tower and all this stuff. But for us, it is wireless because we don't have to worry about that stuff. I think that's a good hmm. a good way of looking at what serverless is. There's a server running. You just don't have to deal with it. And you're able to execute functions you know, and, and, and build applications without having to worry about the server. And And now we're seeing more and more different use cases that are being labeled as serverless. So um, there's this whole idea of managed services. So um, I think Auth0 was one of the first big managed authentication services. There's Okta. We have Amazon Cognito. Um, there's uh, managed services around machine learning and artificial intelligence where you don't actually have to deal with, again, building the service itself. You could just interact with an API that allows you to kind of like take advantage of some of this stuff. You don't actually have to worry about the underlying infrastructure. And I think that's kind of like what serverless is, is becoming to me you know, in, so, in some ways. And really, if, if you're saying serverless and you're talking about functions as a service, it's probably more um, useful to say uh, functions as a service um, when you're having those discussions because the word serverless has gotten it's getting very so, broad. so big. Yeah, yeah it's so broad. Well, you're really good at answering our questions before we even ask them. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We asked one and we get we had three on our list just knocked out of the way. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, I know you you just mentioned um, Amazon Cognito, and that's one that I'm actually uh, I hate to say struggling, but struggling a little bit to like use and understand. I got it set up and functional almost right away, like with Amplify. It was uncanny how immediately like I saw the sign up form and could sign in, and it started working and creating. Um, the user identities because Cognito has the user pool. I'm not. Tr I'm trying to not get too technical about this. Um, <laughs> no, get yeah, a, get as technical we're as you want. About user pool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and my question was for my project is like I want to be able to have my users create profiles and like store different types of like profile personal information, but then have that somehow connected from the Dynamo database I'm using to the Cognito user identity. So like I don't know the best gotcha, way. Yeah. So I'm I'm in the process of like setting that up and using the documentation is sometimes very helpful and sometimes very difficult. Yeah. So, so that's the one gripe that that we have all the time about AWS is our documentation and, oh, and it's for a good reason. We could do a, a better job at it and we're we're working on that for sure. I think Amplify because it's an open source project, we're able to manage documentation a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But like to your point around Cognito, so Cognito is kind of like a AWS service and my team has Amplify and we're building APIs around interacting with Cognito. And um, we've we've started to work very closely, I think, with the Cognito team because a nice. lot of the um, things that, that are limiting, you know, um, users in general are, are, are a combination of working with our APIs and working with their APIs. And we're just trying to make that work, you know, more seamlessly together. But yeah, so dealing with um, dealing with user management and working with a managed identity service like Cognito, yeah, it kind of gets a little tricky because you know what what you could do if you built your own authentication service is you would have a database with all of the users' data stored there, and then you could just make um, you could do you know queries against that database, and you could then have all of these different data database access patterns and pretty much ask for the data in any way you wanted. But when you're working with a managed identity service, you're kind of like giving away some of that control um, in order to have a lot of the stuff kind of like automated for you. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't right. have 
all of those different ways to ask for that that data and update it as you typically would. Uh, we're trying to kind of like you know make it as easy as possible. But you know one of the things that I end up doing a lot of times is if I have a user management service like Cognito and I start feeling like I'm limited, I end up creating a um, kind of like a duplicate of of whatever data I need to query for in a database. So for uh, for instance, things like the, the username and maybe the email address and maybe the uh, address and things like that. And, um, and, the, and therefore, if you need to have some, you know, database call or some call about that user information in the process of another API call, you can just hit, uh, hit that database, get that information. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem then becomes how can you keep those two things consistent? So, you know, how can you kind of like keep those consistent, you know, is, is the main question. And I guess with Cognito, uh, there are a couple of ways to do that, but one of them would be we have these um, Lambda triggers. They're basically triggers those. and you've probably seen those. Yeah. So um, on a bunch of different um, events that happen in the user sign up process. So signing up, updating their, their um, attributes, you know, um, signing out all that stuff you can basically trigger these these uh functions which are lambda functions and within that function you get past the information about whatever event is happening and then you can maybe make those database calls to update the database to keep those consistent mm -hmm. that's kind of one approach but yeah it's 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 it starts getting tricky and i think that's kind of like you know um that's definitely something that we we continue to work on i think that's always a problem when you're building an application and and you're trying to deal with that stuff, it always becomes a little tricky. So All these different services and just getting them to work seamlessly together. Yes, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, thank you so much for going through all these different services because there's a lot. And <laughs> I appreciate learning more. Um, I know, I think you mentioned the book you you authored recently. Yeah, I saw that you're, you're quite active in the React Native community yes. yeah. with, with the React Native training and... Um, and the book as well. And hearing you talk about Amplify made me think about how it would be an easy way to set up a lot of what I would need for a React Native application as a, a single developer. It seems like I could just pop that and have the back end and authentication ready to go. Um, what do you like about, about React Native or how long have you been involved in React Native applications? Yeah, so uh, React Native, when React, so before React Native came out, I was really interested in building mobile apps with JavaScript, mm -hmm. which yeah. is really not that easy because you know you're always not at the actual like level of the code that's running Objective C or whatever. Right. Right. You're kind of like trying to to build in a way that is not you know probably the most efficient way in the past, especially. So um, I think there was jQuery Mobile is when I first play, started playing around with building, you know, it was really building like websites, I guess you could say, and, and, and then shipping them, you know, to the app store kind of as web views. Mm -hmm. um, and then Ionic came out. So I was kind of like really interested in that stuff. So when React Native came out, um, within a couple of months at, uh, of it coming out, we pushed it or we kind of presented it to the company that I was working for. And we really tried to get them to kind of want to use it. So we ended up convincing them to do that and we shipped a react native app to the app store you know with uh as a as a feature or as a um, new product for the company i was working for within about a year mm -hmm. of react native coming out wow um and during that time i learned quite a bit about react native so i started answering questions on stack overflow and things like that and then um from being on stack overflow i was uh, really ranked high i guess as uh, as a contributor one of the 
people at Manning asked me to, to write a book, and I was really excited to do that. So I ended up writing React Native in Action for Manning, and um, that one came out, I guess, on, it's been out digitally for like a year and a half, but it just came out in paperback a few months ago, six months ago, I think. And um, around that time, I was uh, wanting to write another book around what I'm working on now, building not only the front end, but also the back end. So the book I'm writing now is called Full Stack Serverless. It's with mm -hmm. O'Reilly. And we're going to be covering React Native and React because all of the stuff that we're building at AWS and on my team has first-class support for React Native. So we have a lot of React Native developers using it. And yeah, it's a really good way for, I think what we're seeing in the industry, um, not just with w what we're building, but in all around is we're seeing kind of the back end and the front end moving closer and closer mm -hmm. together. And we're actually seeing, you know, front end developers being able to move further and further up the stack and build out these full stack applications that once were kind of out of the limits of our skill set because we needed to understand not only, you know, all of the complexities on the front end and, and mobile, but also all, all of the complexities on the back end. But with all these managed services, all we really need to do is make API calls. And that's something we've been doing for, you know, forever. So we're able to kind of use the managed services to, to build out these full stack apps. And it's becoming, you know, really, really cool to be in the space right now. Super exciting. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a... Uh the big attractive part for me because I, I typically stick with front end. So when I started seeing these yep. services that were like, well, we can do the whole back end essentially for <laughs> you and you'll just hit these APIs and get everything you need. It's uh, pretty awesome. What are the, the workshops like that, you're, that your business has? Are they in person or are they remote or how does that, that whole process work? I was just curious about it. Yeah, so React Native training, we've done remote workshops, we've done uh, on-site workshops. Most of the workshops that we do um, are actually now at companies. Mm -hmm. So a company would reach out to us and we would do a workshop there for two to four days. When I was, before I started working at AWS, I was doing the workshops myself. I don't do those anymore. Mm -hmm. I actually outsource all of the uh, workshops to consultants that work with us. But um, what we would do before that was we would do like a pop-up workshop in New York or LA or San Francisco, and we would just rent out um, or get someone to kind of like go partner with us on a space, and then we would sell tickets, and then we would just kind of show up. Um, but 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 most of our business actually came from doing workshops at companies and kind of helping them uh, onboard their team of most of the time native engineers into right. react native because a lot of the people that felt the pain that react native kind of solved were teams that had native developers because they were sitting there you know build, building out two versions of the same app and they had two teams of engineers that were becoming more and more expensive and harder and harder to find mm -hmm. and react native kind of allowed them to kind of go back to a single code base did it seem like there was resistance um, from native developers to jump over to React Native, or I'm kind of trying to get a, a feel or for the pulse of what a lot of these native developers yeah. are feeling now that JavaScript developers are coming in and kind of doing what they're doing. Yeah, there, there's definitely some resistance there, and and a lot of them have had experience using things like Ionic or things like Cordova, which are really good now, and and they continually to get better, but they are just essentially a web view in a in a native app and they've yeah. they've just been burnt i think in the past over these solutions that pretty much claim to be the you know uh single code base solution yeah. um the cross-platform solution so they kind of have that experience in the past that they're coming to they also maybe view it as a, a kind of a threat because it's kind of the new thing and and if it does become really good maybe they think that it but 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 i would say 
most of the developers came in very positive looking at it as an opportunity because they already there, there's so many good. things that native developers can bring to the table that javascript developers will uh, not ever be able to understand unless they are a native developer mm-hmm. um that uh, i think most of the the really better react native developers are actually coming from the native space because mm-hmm. they're able to then bridge over and build out any native features that they have and it's right. really easy for them but it's impossible for us as a JavaScript yeah, developer. Yeah, like I, especially at first. It's, I've it's been there. Impossible. Yeah, where yeah. I'm like begging a native developer, please just expose this and make a module for me, please. Like I don't want to spend yes. all day trying to make this animation work correctly. Oh man. So yeah. So I know one of the things we wanted to ask too, just while we were doing, you know, some research on how awesome you are, is um, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter you you classify yourself as a lot of different things, and one of them is a futurist. So what what does that mean to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm always really ex- excited. I mean, it's the most exciting thing to me is to think about like what's happening in the next 10, 20, or 30 years. And really the thing that got me into software development was this futurist, his name is Gerd Leonard. Hmm. And he's this really quirky, weird kind of like guy. And if you like search for him, you'll see a bunch of talks that he gives. And he's basically, he's a, he, his job is a futurist. And he like goes to Google and Harvard and all these places and like just speaks to a bunch of people and and basically scares the shit out of them <laughs> about what's going to happen to their business if they don't change. And it was really it actually scared the shit out of me at first too because I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. like what am I doing with my life right now? Like at the time, and um, it made me start really getting interested in 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 some of the stuff that I'm doing now. And mm-hmm. nice. and I'm always really interested in listening to people like him talk about what's going to happen because a lot of it is kind of not, you know, really based in reality, but a lot of it is, and it's kind of, it's fun to kind of listen and and kind of take the pieces that you think are actually going to apply to you and maybe try to work towards things that will get you to be at that place in time when that, what they're talking about actually happens. Mm -hmm. That way you're positioning yourself to be riding the wave of, of, of the future and, and therefore you're going to be prosperous and you're going to be at the right place in the right time. You know, um, there's other people that are futurists that I follow, but Gerd was kind of the, the original one. And then there's like a bunch of other ones. Uh, I can't think of the names, but some of them are physicists. Some of them are, you know, software engineers, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's cool to listen to them talk and read their books. Are we all, are we just going to be in the matrix dude? in, in, <laughs> in like 10 to 20 years? That's what that's what they all end up saying, right? No, Man. I'm generalizing a bit. As long as it's the Matrix one, you know, the other two didn't really do it. You know what? I I, 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 I think they're all the fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the second one quite a bit. Oh, uh, good, good. Um, also, uh, a question that we like to ask all of our guests that is non-tech related um, is: Do you listen to music while you code? And if so, what? And if you have a favorite band, who is it? So I, I don't listen to music while I code. I do listen to music while I work out. And my favorite artist is Jay-Z. Oh, wow. Sure. All right. There you go. But not while you code, huh? You get no, too amped uh, up. Get, You'll punch your computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get distracted. I start thinking about stuff too much. So yeah. I, I pretty much code in silence. That's funny. Yeah. That's cool. Do you like you? So what do you do if you're like surrounded by people or in like an office setting? Do you have like noise canceling headphones or how do you find those silent spaces? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not that good in those places. I mean, I, I could be okay with like some background noise, but if there's someone that's distracting me, I'll probably just like leave and go somewhere else or yeah. something. That's <laughs> yeah, good. I like going to coffee shops. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, well, you were like the first person who had an immediate answer to the music question, so yeah. good on you. Uh, yeah, a shocking <laughs> okay, amount good. of people you have, have had to really give it a good amount of thought or just said, I don't listen to music. No one knows who their favorite <laughs> is. Yeah. Well, we really um, appreciate you coming on today. This, this has well, been, thank you. It's been, been really fun. fun. Yeah. It's been really cool. Yeah, is there anything? Um, I think the one other question we didn't get to was like, what is your preference in like a full stack serverless application? Like, what do you personally enjoy working with the most? Or would you recommend? So, yeah. So right now I'm really, really having a lot of fun with the combination of a NoSQL database and GraphQL. Hmm. There's just so much you can do with it. It's so powerful. There's a learning curve, but I think once you kind of get over that learning curve, you realize you can pretty much do anything. And, and that's kind of what I've always wanted to, to, that's the point I've always wanted to be where I could, if someone has an idea, I can just build it without having to really like hit a roadblock. And I think you can do that now with, uh, with a lot of this stuff that, you know, we talked about today, but, but really, um, you know, it doesn't have to be AppSync, the, the service that I build, but uh, but there's other things out there like Prisma, mm -hmm. there's Graph CMS, there's uh, Hasura, um, and then Apollo, of course, if you rolled your own. I think I think using GraphQL and, and learning how to use a, a database, it doesn't have to be any particular database. If you can master those two things, uh, and then you could be like, you know, still a front-end developer, you can pretty much do anything, and it's really, you know, a freeing feeling and i think it's pretty exciting time to be yes. like that's a developer excellent. yeah that's what i need to oh, hear man. dude we didn't even touch on app sync today man we're gonna have to we'll, we'll, we'll have you back again <laughs> what what uh <laughs> I, I gotta ask what state are you in or what is your accent i live in mississippi okay oh nice my my, my yeah. mom's side of the family is all from kentucky and it, it was reminding me i'm like this sounds this sounds similar <laughs> it's funny <laughs> Yeah, I live in Mississippi. Um, I, I've been on the road about two weeks out of the, the month lately, though, so I'm basically, you know, half nomadic and half. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna get some New York and LA in there soon. Be it all wow. over the place. That's awesome. Um, Natter, where where can people find you? Like, what yeah, would you? Yeah. Let's get some plugs. Yeah. Uh, Dabit three on Twitter and uh, GitHub and Medium and also on Dev two. So D A B I T and the number three. Perfect. And is your GitHub where we could find those open source demos for the JSLA talk? Yes, all the demos from that talk are there. Um, I have, I think, 260-something repos Holy there. Crap. Okay, About well, we'll, we'll sort like, through them. Actually, cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll put yeah, out a list out. Uh, in the show notes of all the ones that we approve of. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll go through them one by one. This has been excellent. Thank you so much yeah, we really for appreciate speaking it. with us. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. All right. Have Bye. a good day. Thanks, you too. Thanks. Later. <laughs> Bye. Another great interview. <laughs> oh my gosh, this dude. Yeah, that he knows was, everything. That was really, really fun. And he has very um, detailed answers for all of our questions. It was funny. He was, yeah. we had a list of questions and we would ask one and he'd answer three of the our next questions. Three. Yeah. I know, it was hard to figure out what to ask next. Yeah. It's like, man, what did we just go over? But he, he said he spends like two weeks out of every month right now traveling. So I mean, no wonder. He yeah. definitely knows his technology he knows how to explain this and how to teach people his services you know what i just realized that we didn't cover that was the big news of the weekend oh it, man yeah that uh miley and uh what's that guy's name what <laughs> i don't freaking know miley cyrus and liam helmsworth broke up guys oh man so uh, who didn't see that one yeah coming? i think our listenership might take a hit because <laughs> people are in mourning but uh they've had a they've had a rough go the ups and downs and um I meant to ask Natter what he thought about that. Oh, man. I'm um, moving on. Tweet from at <laughs> us, guys. Tweet, what, what do you guys think? What's Miley going to do now? Tweet at us. I was off Duck the internet. FM. 
way more than I should have been. I this thought weekend. you were a big Miley fan. Um, you are mistaken. <laughs> I don't have like anything wrong with her or anything. Uh, but here we go. Shots I don't fired, keep Miley. Up. I don't keep up with the gossip. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, well, this is reality. It's not gossip, and it's sad. <laughs> no. Um, All right, for for Natter, we have to point yeah. people towards his JSLA demos because those were so cool, guys. I know we talked about it right away. Yeah. But visit his GitHub. Dab so. it three. Yes. On Twitter as well. Yeah, D-A-B-I-T, then the number three, all over the place. Um, go through his 200-plus repos on GitHub. Uh, star the Star the ones that you like, and we'll try to get those, I don't know, somewhere with ratings. Yes. <laughs> we'll <laughs> put it all in the notes. Them. Help them out. All right, guys. Thanks. Oh, do we have any giveaways? Giveaways? I think we have one more. Yeah, we have, we yeah. have a giveaway. So go to... Duct Tapes FM, sign up for the newsletter, be entered to win. Do it. Automatically enter for all future giveaways. Yeah. And you get a cool weekly newsletter from us. Yeah. So man. that's fun. All right, guys. See you next week. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Powered by Vincent. Quack, quack.